0: Well, it's great to be together today. Uh, Once again, thanks for joining us online uh, or or here in person as we uh, worship God together. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the Peanuts cartoon strip and the uh, main characters, Charlie Brown and lovable Lucy. Well, one day Lucy is uh, talking to Charlie Brown, trying to encourage him, and she says, Look at it like this, Charlie Brown. Yes, yes. These are your difficult and bitter days. Yes, Charlie Brown, these are your days of hardship and struggle. And then the next frame comes along and she says, But if you will just hold your head high and keep fighting, you'll triumph. Charlie Brown, if you just hold your head high, keep fighting, you'll triumph. Charlie Brown looks at Lucy and asks, Hopefully, gee, do you really think so, Lucy?" And Lucy, in typical Lucy fashion, says, frankly, no. (laughs) There are indeed some people that I'll call them hope drainers. There are some people in our lives who are hope drainers. Maybe some people, um, family members or friends, Maybe a coworker or a boss who, like Lucy, are hope drainers. There are some circumstances in our lives that are hope drainers. Maybe some personal circumstances that you're facing today, personal circumstances related to your job or finances or your family or your health that, that can be hope drainers. And so, whether circumstances, or, or whether they're personal, or whether they're related to our community, or our country, or our world, there are things that are hope drainers in our lives. Today, as I mentioned earlier, we are kicking off our "There Is Hope" campaign, and we're marrying this "There Is Hope" campaign with our transition in our in our grand sweep series, our 2020 grand sweep through the Bible in 365 days series. Uh, to this There is Hope campaign will transition today from the Old Testament, sweeping the Old Testament over the last eight and a half months to sweeping into the New Testament. Over the next four weeks in their There is Hope campaign, we'll be focusing on the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John point us to Jesus. And over the next four weeks, we will discover and affirm that Jesus is not a hope drainer, but a hope gainer. A hope giver. And over the next four weeks we will discover and affirm that his advice it goes far beyond and is a lot deeper than just hold your head high and keep fighting and you'll triumph. Well where are we at in this Grand Sweep series? Uh, if, if you're just tuning in uh, for the first time today Or if you're new to Asbury over the last few weeks or the last few months, here's a summary of where we've been over the last eight and a half months. And if you've been with us over the last eight and a half months of this year, I I hope and pray that this will serve as a refresher. We started this series way back in January, which seems like, right, eons ago. (laughs) We started this series back in January and we we looked at the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and we we saw there that, that God desires a relationship. God created humankind to be in relationship with Him. God created Adam and Eve as the pinnacle of His creation. God created Adam and Eve in His image and likeness to be in relationship with Him and with each other. But Adam and Eve sinned, disobeyed God, chose their own way, uh, didn't trust God's way, didn't trust God's plan, and so their relationship with God and with each other was broken. Sin and the orientation to sinning, choosing our own way, not trusting God's plan, became a part of the human DNA with far-reaching consequences ever since, to this very day. But God, in spite of humanity's sin and rebellion, desired a relationship. Remember, from creation, desired relationship with humanity, and so he established a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham became the father of the Hebrew nation, the birth of the Hebrew nation and God's chosen people. But, but the people, God's chosen people, continued to sin. They found themselves enslaved in Egypt. But God, faithful, great is thy faithfulness, as we just sang. God was faithful. To raise, he raised up Moses and delivered the people from slavery in Egypt. But the people continued to sin, didn't trust God. Didn't choose his way, and so they found themselves wandering in the wilderness for 40 long years. They finally made it to the promised land after 40 years. God again intervened for them like he intervened in getting them out of Egypt. He intervened in getting them across the Jordan River and took care of Jericho and got into the promised land. But they continued to sin. They didn't listen to the judges who God provided to lead them. They didn't listen to the prophets who warned them come back to God, not chase the foreign gods of the land that they were inhabiting, but to come back to God. They didn't listen, and they continued to sin, and turn away from God, and they suffered the consequences of their sin and disobedience. The key theme of the Old Testament, the key theme of the Grand Sweep, the key theme of the overarching story of God is simply this. God wants a relationship with God wants a personal relationship with every person and wants a personal relationship with you. That was evident. In God's creation of humankind as he had this relationship in the garden with Adam and Eve. That, that desire, or that, that theme of God's wanting a relationship with us was, it was evident through raising up Moses to deliver the Hebrew people. And through the judges and the prophets who called the people back to himself. That, that was obvious and, and, and that, that, that desire was obvious and ultimately when God finally sent his son, Jesus to establish a new covenant. And that uh, a new covenant not based on law and obedience, not based on law and obedience to the law, but a new covenant based on grace and and faith, trust, trusting him, his way, and his plan. Throughout the Old Testament, and by the way, it was not not a covenant just open to the Hebrews, but a covenant open to all of us. Throughout the Old Testament, And into the New Testament, God is saying, I want to give you a way to come back to me so we can do life together. Would you hear that from God today? I want to give you a way to come back to me so we can do life together. And as we will see in the Gospels, that way was through Jesus. Jesus came to do for us What we cannot do for ourselves, take away our sin that keeps us from God, and be the bridge to us to have relationship with God. Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, take away our sin that keeps us from God. All the prophets in the Old Testament point to the promise of the coming of the Messiah. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. We don't know when. All the prophets point to that. And then, as Paul the Apostle writes in Galatians chapter 4, for in the fullness of time, at the right time, God sent forth his Son into the world. And so, Jesus lived and died and was raised from the dead to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. So, That's a grand sweep summary of where we've been the last eight and a half months, leading us, tipping us to the New Testament and now the Gospel of Matthew. A little background to Matthew. A little background to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, turned follower of Jesus. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 9. He talks a little bit about his own personal story, own personal testimony. As a Jew himself, Matthew's Gospel is the perfect bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He was a Jew, and Matthew's audience, he writes to a Jewish audience, and so he uses a lot of the Old Testament. He refers to the Old Testament a lot. Uh, The Old Testament emphasis is on the law. Uh, Matthew's emphasis is on Jesus as fulfillment of the law. The Old Testament contains a lot of prophecies. Matthew's emphasis is on Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophecies. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, and so his gospel is a perfect bridge between Old and New Testament. Matthew um, uh, quotes the Old Testament 53 times. You'll find 53 different quotes in the the Gospel of Matthew from the Old Testament and 76 additional references totaling a whopping 129 quotes or references to the Old Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. More than any other gospel. Matthew emphasizes Jesus as a teacher, a rabbi. And that would be a connecting point for Jews because they had lots of teachers, lots of rabbis. So Matthew emphasized Jesus as teacher, rabbi. 60% 60% of, of Matthew's gospel uh, represent the teachings of Jesus versus the miracles and the healings, the other narratives about Jesus' life. 60% are the teachings of Jesus, much of them being parables and stories. Matthew chapter 13 is just one parable, one story after another. So that's the grand sweep summary. Are you still with me? That's a grand sweep summary of the last eight and a half months. And that's a little summary overview of the Gospel of Matthew and the writer Matthew. And now in our time remaining, let's dig a little bit deeper, look at one particular teaching of Jesus, and then let's turn the lens of our camera a little bit closer into one particular illustration uh, in that teaching. So imagine this scene. Jesus uh, had just performed a miraculous healing. Actually, as you read Matthew chapter 4, he had, he had performed many miracles of healing. And after these miracles of healing had occurred, the word about Jesus spreads throughout all the community around Galilee where Jesus was living and around Capernaum. Capernaum is in northern Galilee. Word about Jesus spreads. And so people start to gather. Large crowds start to gather around him on a grassy field. This grassy field kind of forming a natural amphitheater. Near the Sea of Galilee. So they're hanging out there. And suddenly Jesus stands and a hush falls across the crowd. And Jesus begins to teach. This is how Matthew, his follower, gospel writer, records it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets. The prophets, this Jewish audience would know about the prophets, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This section of Scripture, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, Recording all the way to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we know as a Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus didn't call it the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't stand up and say, Well, we're on kind of a grassy hillside here. It looks like a little mountain, and I'm going to give you a sermon, so let's call it Sermon on the Mount. No, uh, early church started to call it the Sermon on the Mount because they remembered that day when Jesus taught on the hillside or on that mountainside. And it's a sermon, it's actually the only Uh, full-length sermon we have of Jesus we have of course many of his teachings and his parables they're short and pithy but this is the only full-length sermon that Jesus gave and and that is recorded by one of his gospel writers not probably the only one he gave but the only one recorded in in full length some scholars say that this was uh, all communicated in one setting one sermon and other scholars say Jesus probably gave this teaching, this discourse, over a period of two or three days. Well, either way, it's a great sermon. Either way, I, 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 it's been called the greatest sermon of all time. And I'm sure not arguing. This uh, Sermon on the Mount has been called the Christian Manifesto. Matthews 5, 6, and 7, the Christian Manifesto. It's been called the Christian Magna Carta. It's been called the rules for Christian living. Because they're packed with all great kinds of insight for our lives today. And this Sermon on the Mount uh, contains, listen to this, the Beatitudes that I just read, that section of Sermon Beatitudes that I just read, contains the Lord's Prayer, contains the Golden Rule, It contains the affirmation that you and I are the salt of the earth and light of the world. It contains the challenge to love your enemies, uh, turn the other cheek, the challenge to to enter the kingdom of heaven by the narrow gates, not the wide gate, to not stir up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. And it has a challenge not to worry God takes care of the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, so God will take care of you, so don't worry, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. All of that's in the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon of all time. So Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes that I just read in a powerful, profound way. You can mine the depths of those Beatitudes for hours, each one of them. Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount also in a powerful way that we'll see momentarily. So you might say, well, that's a good speaker, man. You've got to have a good beginning and a good ending. You've got to hook them and land them, and you have have some substantive content in between. And that's what, exactly what Jesus did. He took off. And, and with those Beatitudes, he landed with a great ending, and he had some substantive content in between. Let's read his ending. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He's, he's coming to a conclusion. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... He's you know, been preaching to them, talking to them, teaching them this discourse. They've been listening and nodding their heads. And then he says, Well, any, any, everyone who hears these words of mine... And puts them into practice. Don't just nod your head, okay? That's what I'm saying to him. Put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, and listen to the next phrase, does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law they had rabbis they had teachers of the law but jesus was not like that they were amazed because he taught as one habit who had authority not as their teachers jesus was no ordinary rabbi jesus was no ordinary teacher He spoke practically, he spoke profoundly, he spoke with authority. There was a sense of authenticity to his life, a sense of authority to his words. And they stood back in amazement. I mean, think about the simplicity of these words that we just read from the Beatitudes and from that closing illustration. And quite frankly, that's why we have his words still today. Also, his death and resurrection validated his teachings, right? His death and resurrection validated the truth and the authority of Jesus and the truth and authority of his words. His death and resurrection validated that. That's why we have his words today. 2,000 years later. I mean, think about it. you got a New York Times bestseller today and it'll last on the New York Times bestseller list for a year or two or three. That author is excited if it lasts for five years or eight years or ten years, a decade. These words remain a bestseller 2,000 years later. Not a decade or two. Two millennium later. So... These words are are not hard to to, uh, understand, but they're hard to put into practice. That's why Jesus said put them into practice. Uh, The simplicity and the profundity of a foundation, of a house, built on a rock versus built on sand. Jesus was saying to the crowd, he loved to talk in illustrations and parables and stories, and he was saying to the crowd, don't just be wowed by my words. Don't just hear my words and be impressed by them. Don't just acknowledge them as coming from a person with authority. No, I want you to do them. I want you to practice them. I want you to apply them because as you do them, as you practice them, as you apply them, then you'll be like a person who built on a rock, and you will have a strong foundation then for your life. Jesus was not just informational. Jesus' teaching was not just informational, but transformational. Did you catch that? Jesus' teaching was not just informational, but transformational, because information alone doesn't transform. It impresses us intellectually, makes, makes a difference you know, intellectually, but it doesn't transform us. But Jesus' teaching, with the application, results in transformation. That's what Jesus was after. So I appeal to you today to not just listen to these words, whether you're here in the house or whether you're listening online. Don't just listen to these words, hear these words, and be impressed by these words of Jesus. Put them into practice. Do them. Apply them to your life and experience God's transforming power in and through you. And this is where hope ties in. This is where hope connects. Hope connects to a strong foundation. This hope connects with this illustration this way. What is hope? Is it just hope in hope? Is it just hope as in wishful thinking? Is it just hope as in a positive, self-generated optimism? No. What is your hope in? What is the object of your hope? Tim Keller, who is an author and teacher and preacher, says says it like this about faith. It's not the quality of my faith, but the object of my faith that holds me up. Not the quality of my faith or the strength of my faith or the ability of my faith, the quality of my faith, but the object of my faith that holds me up. And I'll put a little twist on that. It's not the the quality of my hope, but the object of my hope that keeps me going. So what is the object of your faith? What's the object of your hope? Hope is rooted in a confident understanding of God and his word. Hope is rooted in a confident understanding of God and his word. Hope comes from the promises of God. Hope comes from a strong foundation. Do you see how hope and foundation are linked? Hope comes from a strong foundation. It's not just trying to crank ourselves up. It's not, it's not just... Uh, um, Wishing hope into existence. Did you hear about the woman who was riding on her bicycle on, uh, on, on, on a campus, and she had a, a sign on her t-shirt that said, I'm going to be a doctor. On the back of her bicycle was a sign that said, I'm going to be a Mercedes. Wishful thinking is not enough to convert a bicycle into a Mercedes. And so, here's the point. When you're, if your foundation is shaky, if your foundation is not strong, you can hope all you want to stay strong when the storms of life come, but you won't because the foundation's shaky. A, 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 a strong foundation provides a strong basis for hope. And there is no stronger foundation than Jesus Christ and his word. This is what it looks like to build on a shaky foundation. This is what it looks like. Uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You know what Pisa means? Swampy marsh. Marshy land. Was it smart for them to build that structure on marshy land, on a swamp? That, 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 um, swamp that marshy land was too soft to support that structure and what resulted a tilt and as being reinforced not to just tilt and tilt and collapse same way with our lives we have to have a strong foundation otherwise we're just going to tilt and tilt and collapse when the storms of life come that's why hope is tied to a strong foundation And a strong foundation is tied to Jesus and his word. That's what he was saying as he concluded his Sermon on the Mount. We sang earlier, thanks uh, uh, Brittany for uh, selecting that uh, amazing song by uh, Maverick City Music, uh, Promises. God of Abraham. We've been talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God of covenants. We've been talking about covenant, God's covenant with Abraham and God's new covenant with Jesus. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and of faithful promises. Great is your faithfulness to me. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast and let my heart learn When you speak a word, it will come to pass. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground. My hope and firm foundation, he'll never let me down. Great is thy faithfulness to me. And then we're going to close the service in a few few minutes with that great song. Maybe some of you are familiar with it, either here in the house or watching uh, online. Cornerstone. Here are some of the great words of Cornerstone. Listen to these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's all about his blood, his death and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, you know, this sweet frame, your sweet frame. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Christ alone, Cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide his face, you know, I can't see his face. He's not showing up. He's not speaking to me. When darkness uh, seems to hide his face, well, then I'm going to just rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. Hope is not a cheap, immature confidence that does not see the difficulties of life, that does not has not encountered the raw realities of life. Did you catch that? Hope is not some cheap, immature confidence that does not see the difficulties of life, has not encountered the raw realities of life. No, hope is that confidence that through the storm he is Lord. Hope is that confidence that through the storm, through the difficulties and the harsh realities of life, through the COVID-19 pandemic, through the challenges and struggles of Figuring out virtual learning and the frustrations of trying to make life work at this time. That through death, through divorce, through debt, through loss, he is Lord. Lord of all. And so I just invite you to receive Jesus and let him form within you a strong foundation, a solid cornerstone so that you'll be steadfast and secure. Let me give you a couple verses of scripture to hold on to. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope, he's the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. He, the God of hope, will fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Not a self-generated optimism, but a through the power of the Holy Spirit, you might overflow with hope. And how about this one, Hebrews 6, 19. Rick, I know this is one of your favorites. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And then from 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, In his great mercy, God has given us new birth. God has given us new birth into a living hope, Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that verse. A living hope. Where do we find it? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now that's a clue. That right there is a tip off to some truth. What do I mean by that? The Greek word for hope appears 71 times in the New Testament. And it's no coincidence that it is used 70 of the 71 times after Jesus' resurrection. Think about that. It is used 70 of the 71 times in the New Testament after Jesus' resurrection. What does that say to us? It says to us that the resurrection of Jesus is the reason for our hope. The resurrection of Jesus is the source of our hope. The resurrection of Jesus confirms the authority of his teaching. The resurrection of Jesus validates why he died on the cross. And the resurrection of Jesus is our strong hope foundation, and it's a living hope, firm and secure, as an anchor for our soul. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just hope in hope. It's not some positive self-generated optimism. You know, in a sense, Lucy was right when she said to Charlie Brown, frankly, no. It's not just Hold your head high and keep fighting and you'll triumph. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, his word, his teaching, his life, death, and resurrection. So no matter what storm you're facing today and what storm you might face in the future, I invite you today to trust him. To embrace and practice his words. And to, to know him as your living hope. And then you will stand firm and secure, and then you will triumph in him. Let's pray. And so today, for those of you here in the house, in this sanctuary, for those of you watching online, would you just take a moment to uh, let God know where you're struggling, where you're not very hopeful, where the storms have hit And you feel shaky. You feel like you might be tilting, tipping, and you hope you won't crash. Just be honest. You know, just in the quietness of your own heart, say that to God. And then say, God, I need you. I need your son Jesus as my hope. And so I'm banking on you as my anchor. And just open your heart to him, and he'll be your anchor. It's not so much the quality of your hope, it's the object of your hope. It's not the quality of your faith, it's the object of your faith. May Jesus and his resurrection be the quality, may it be the object of your hope and the object of your faith today and forevermore. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and touch us, help us to be honest enough with you with where we're at, and then also help us to be be, uh, open with our hearts break down our pride, our desire just to do it ourselves, to trust our own way, to choose our own path and help us, oh Lord, to submit to you that you would raise us up, that you would encourage us, that you would be our anchor and our hope today, our cornerstone today and every day of this week and then help us to pass along to be hope gainers and hope givers to others. They might see Jesus in us and find hope for themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.